On February 18, 2001, one of the largest cases of espionage in, the, in American history was given a name and a face. Robert Philip Hansen, born April 18, 1944. Robert Hansen worked for the FBI, but he spied for the Soviet and Russian intelligence services from 1979 to 2001. 22 years. He was arrested near his home as he made an illegal drop of classified material in the park. Henson pled guilty to 14 counts of espionage and conspiracy. And he was sentenced to 15 life sentences without the possibility of parole. This is treason. Along with Aldrich Ames, Hansen did what was unthinkable. He betrayed his country. He betrayed his country that he took an oath to uphold and defend the Constitution of the United States against all enemies, both foreign and domestic. And for us, good Americans, this is unfathomable. To betray your country for 22 years. The same type of betrayal is what we see here in John 13. Judas betrays his king. Jesus testified to his disciples that one of them was going to betray him. And we see something very peculiar here. The disciples start asking each other, who is it? Who's going to do this? And we remember, remember back in chapter 12, what had happened. Jesus entered to Jerusalem, and the crowds gathered, and they said, Hosanna! Glory in the highest, the king of Israel has come. So we might not think this is quite as bad as Hansen, but they have betrayed their king. And they don't know who it was. Can you imagine that type of confusion? One of you is going to betray Jesus. Right? So Peter asks the beloved disciple, who is it? And John has given us the key to a mystery novel. Right? In a mystery novel, everyone's trying to figure out who performs the murder. But we know the answer. And we get so frustrated because they cannot see who it is. But they don't get it. And I don't understand how they don't get it. Right? Jesus said, the one who I'm going to give this piece of bread to, he is the betrayer. And then he lets him leave the room. And the disciples are, maybe he's going to go give money to the poor. 
How do they not get it? But this is exactly what sin does to us, isn't it? This is exactly what happens in our own lives. We cannot see our own sin. Now, we can see the sin of other people. Oh, yeah. We've got the key to that. But we cannot see our own sin. And we have to ask ourselves, why? Why are we so blind? Why does it feel like we're in the darkness of our own sin? This is a theme that John has been talking about since the very beginning. The light versus the darkness. We know the sin is there. Why is it so hard for us to see it? We have our silent prayer of confession. If you aren't praying during that prayer, you do not see your sin because your sin is there. What are we doing to see? What type of questions are we asking that we might see our sin? Are we asking each other, help me see my sin? Help me see what I cannot see myself. Are we praying, Lord, Help me see. Because here's the reality of our sin. If we don't see it, it will lead to death. If we don't see it, it does what we see here. It leads to betrayal. It leads to betrayal of our loved ones, of our friends, of everything we hold dear and love. Because what sin does is it sneaks into the dark cracks of our life and it destroys everything we touch. And the way that betrayal really works It works in those who are really loyal and faithful. And it takes them by surprise. Because sin always works in the darkness. We see here, Judas left. And what does John tell us? And it was night. Typically, it's really easy for us to see sin in other people's lives. Why do you think it's so hard to talk about other people's sin to them? I have a couple suggestions. One, we are terrified that that person is going to say, well, I know all your sin too. The second, 
It's because we want to keep peace. But let me ask you a hypothetical. What do you think what would happen? What would have happened if the disciples here had the type of friendships, had the type of relationships where they could ask each other, tell me the sin that you see in my life. Now, I'm not saying that that would have changed the plan of Judas. But think about what type of community these disciples could have experienced if they would have asked themselves, help me see my own sin, because I see yours. What do you think happens to our church? What do you think happens to this group of disciples if we are able to ask each other, help me see my sin? What do you think happens to this group of disciples if we're able to go to one another in love and humility and say, I think you're really hurting yourself and you don't even see it? Because it's a lot easier to say behind their backs, they shouldn't have done that. Can you believe that's what they just did? Can you believe that's what they just said? Think of the humility it would take. The trust that it would take. The love that it would take. The tears that it would take to talk openly with one another about our sin. Because this is what the standard is, right? We're Christians. We know it's there. We wouldn't be here if we didn't know it was there. We have to be able to admit to ourselves, if we don't see it, we don't see it but it's there. Let us pray together. Father, help us see our sin. Father, help us confess our sins to one another. Father, help us because we cannot do this on our own. Father, do not let Satan in this group of disciples because he will cause us to betray our allegiance to Jesus. Think what would happen to this church if this was our posture to sin. Think what would happen to this church if we created such a safe place where we could talk about our sin that we could also rejoice when sin is defeated. Think of what happened to this church if we actually lived by the grace that we profess every single week. The way of the gospel is a hard life. But the darkness will not overcome. This is the testimony of Jesus.
And then we see the heart of Jesus. Who are the hardest people to love in your life? In verse 21, we read, Jesus says, or we read that John says, Jesus was troubled in his spirit. D.A. Carson says, Troubled in spirit is a strong verb in the Greek, and it signifies revulsion and horror and anxiety and agitation. And here we see the fullness of Jesus' humanity on display. He sympathizes with us. He sympathizes in our weakness. And we feel the magnitude of what's happening in this room. This imagery of agitation is the same Greek word used in the raging sea that Jesus calms. This is the soul of our Savior. Why? He just washed the feet of his betrayer. And my question is, what would you have done if you were Jesus? Would you be able to wash the feet to serve people who reject Jesus? Who reject God and his love and his grace? Who reject God and his scriptures? It's pretty easy to make a list of people we wouldn't do this for, right? Nazi Germany. It's pretty easy to say, nope, not washing their feet. Maybe the community of the LGBTQIA+, nope, not washing their feet. But then we remember, Judas was a disciple. He was in the church. And then we think of people inside the church. Idolaters. The sexually immoral. Adulterers. Thieves. Those who are greedy. Those who are drunkards. Revilers. Those who harm with their words. The list goes on. And the question is, would you be willing to wash their feet? This is what Jesus is demonstrating. This is the love that Jesus is demonstrating for his disciples. You, yes, even you who will betray me, I will wash your feet because I love you. I will give you a symbol of what the cleansing blood of the cross would do for you if you would only believe in me. This is greater. This is far deeper than the golden rule. Jesus tells us the golden rule in Matthew 17. So whatever you wish others to do to you, also do to them to fulfill the law and the prophets. But that, that's the, the basis of all humanity. Just love those as you want to be loved. Jesus goes deeper. He says, don't love others how they will love you. Love others as I have loved you.
The problem with the golden rule isn't the rule. It's not the law. The problem is my heart. I don't want to serve others because of my own pride. Because I think I'm too much better than them. Because I think their sin is too great. And here, Jesus is washing the feet of Judas. Jesus tells us, love your enemies and pray for them who persecute you. That's Judas. He says, do good to those who hate you. Jesus is giving the disciples an entirely new realm of how to see the world. Love others as I have loved you. The God of the universe came for sinners so that they might love others. He's revealing what it looks like not to just pray and love our enemies, but to serve our enemies. Jesus is offering the gospel to Judas. He's revealing to Judas, all you need is me. And here's the question for our lives. Are we willing to go to our enemies? Those who revile us, who curse at us, those who reject God's truth, those who whose life looks nothing like it should because it's marred by sin, and are we willing to go to them and say, the gospel is for you because the gospel is for me? A sinner that needs Jesus. He washed the feet of someone who was going to stab him in the back that very night. But that's the heart of Jesus. And before you say, oh, this is just hyperbolic terms, no. John tells us he got on his hands and knees and washed the feet of Judas. And he tells his disciples, I have given you an example that you should also do just as I have done to you. I'm not here this morning to say this room is a bunch of Judases. Judais, Judasize. Judas is the quintessential apostate. In Hebrews 6, Bill read, For it is impossible in the case of those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift and have shared in the Holy Spirit and have tasted the goodness of the Word of God and the powers of the age to come, and then have fallen away to restore them again unto repentance. This is a picture of Judas. Judas had seen the light of the world. Judas had tasted the bread that came from heaven. Judas had been sent out, filled with the power of the Spirit, to preach the gospel and returned rejoicing. And then he rejected it. 
he rejected Jesus. It is to this person that Hebrews explains can never be restored because Judas was a leech. He wanted all the blessings of Jesus, but he wanted nothing to do with Jesus. He nuzzled up. He tried to receive these covenant promises from God that were fulfilled in Jesus, but yet he said, I do not want Jesus. But what I am saying, our only hope is in the gospel. Our only hope is that we see that our sins need saving. And this should change everything about us. If we've really met this Jesus who washed our feet, that should change our affections. That should change our emotions. That should change our wills. Because knowing is not enough. Jesus asks for more than just our minds. He asks us to follow him and to do unto others as he has done for us. Knowing Jesus is the key, but it's far more than that. The gospel changes the way we think the gospel changes the way that we love. The gospel changes the way that we have hope for this fallen world that we live in. But the gospel gives us a new type of love. It's a love that we can't muster up in ourselves. It's a love that enables us to do far more than we'd ever dare to do. It's a love that changes the world. Because it's the love of Jesus. Yes, it has standards, but it's love that's motivated out of the gospel. It's love that only comes from a place where we know that we have received it first. And it's the type of love that Jesus has poured out upon his disciples. It's the type of love we receive when we're filled with the Spirit of God because without Him, we dare not ever have that type of love. And it's this type of love that we're invited to this table. A love that we can taste, smell, touch, and see because this table tells us the one thing that we need, the one thing Judas needed, the one thing our world needs is Jesus. This is the type of love that the night will not overcome. Amen. Let us pray.